Oh, okay. Are we recording now? Yeah. Okay. Phil, do you want to come? Two. Man. <laughs> Hello. Adam loves his own countdowns. He's like, no, I'm not waiting for anyone else. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Matt's definitely leaving this part in. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Elite Rugby Banter. Yes, that's me. I'm not dead. It's Adam. Uh, I've been called in for an emergency pod instead of running the social media team. Uh, and today we're joined by Phil. How are you, Phil? How's it, Adam? Good to hear from you. I'm doing all right, thanks. Enjoying, yeah, enjoying the URC and all the other rugby that comes with it. Yes. Um, and just thank this. The host seat's quite warm. You guys have kept it quite warm with your respective bums. I very much appreciate it. So all I can do is I'll try honor honor what the work of you yourselves have been doing. Uh, that's far which I've been thoroughly enjoying. Uh, Andrew, how are you? I am a very happy man after our draft fixture, Adam. I'm the the, the reigning champion of the Yuxke Derby. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not happy about it. Beyond a thing. Extremely, extremely, <laughs> extremely hot Johannesburg. It was hot in the draft this week, so I'm a little bit sad. Jack Dempsey, if you're out there, uh, I need your help. You know, I love Obi Wan Kenobi. But speaking more seriously, um, we're going to be focusing a lot on URC uh, and also the Women's World Cup coming up in New Zealand. But first, I guess we're going to start off with some news. Well, B, I guess, uh, one of our many Cape Town correspondents. Apparently, DHL Stadium, a.k.a. Cape Town Stadium, is getting a hybrid tour. Yeah, so that's only for next year. Um, and I believe the main reason is so that they can use it for concerts and all the other good things that happen there. But I think it's also a good thing in terms of the field itself, which I'm sure they've tried to make it a bit better, um, but it always seems to have issues. If you remember the Springbok test matches that they played, but also... The Stormers and some of their matches it seems to, you know, get damaged so easily so early in the match. So hopefully this is a good thing. I, I don't know too much about hybrid pitches in terms of rugby performance and all that, but uh, it sounds quite progressive. Yeah, I yes. was I was catching a, a video from Sintu Manjezi, who uh, some of you may know that Phil and I went to the same school, St Andrews, that Sintu went to. He's moved from the Bulls to Glasgow and. and uh, after a week of training, he was saying he's he's still trying to get used to this hybrid surface over there. So it does it does apparently take some getting used to. Um, interested to see how it plays out in terms of performances. But if, if, they say the pitch is now 12 years old, and apparently there's a, a lifespan of about 10 to 12 years on these pitches. So it's about time. Apparently, we'll we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, um, I just said there has been some controversy in the Premiership. I know Newcastle, they used an artificial service. Um, so as long I, I'm sure those who are installing the pitch at DHL Stadium, uh, thanks to DHL, I was plugging you to give this part of sponsorship. Um, that, that, that doesn't produce any, it's particularly in the impact areas, knees and ankles, where these surfaces may make a, a medical impact. But as I, I assume this has been sorted out, that it will be one to watch. Uh, something else to watch that maybe have implications on the future of the Bok coaching setup, you never know. Uh, Bok assistant coach and Zadili Sik used to take charge when SAA tour to the UK. Well, along with the senior team, they're going to be playing two midweek matches. Um, 
And the, there'll be a strong coaching group uh, that will be in the background, including Rassi Rasmus, Jerry Mangalo, and Bafana Mkhleko. Uh, the squad's going to be announced in three weeks. Uh, is it any coincidence that they're doing an A tour with the World Cup on the horizon, Phil and Andrew? It seems not. Also, some future planning with Stick, in a way. Do you think he's been groomed? Um, I think he's been groomed, but he's also he's close to the setup as it is now, and I think they'll use the A team. As a, as a way to rotate guys in, you sort of on the fringes. I think there, there will be games on tour that they'll want to expose guys like Elric Lowe and Evan, Evan Ruiz to. But in the, in the midweek games, I'm sure they will be planning to give those guys proper minutes um, up in different... A lot of these guys won't have spent that much time touring, um, won't have spent that much time playing in these different countries. So it's a nice opportunity to give some guys some more game time, keep you know asking those... They keep saying in the box setup like they want to find answers to questions. Um, so maybe they'll ask some questions through these <laughs> through these midweek games. So there's a little less pressure pressure not having the Springbok label on the team. Um, so they can try out new combinations and that. It's definitely not a coincidence that it's leading up to the World Cup. And to be honest, I did I wish they did this thing this kind of thing more often. It makes a lot of sense. Mm. Phil, your thoughts? Yeah, I think the the games itself are exciting. I, I think I saw some people sort of ho- posting wish lists, which had like almost a completely <laughs> different um, squad. Yeah. So I agree with Andrew. I don't think it's going to be like that. It's going to be more fringe players from the main squad, maybe plus a slightly bigger squad and using that. Um, and I think the two games that they've organized are going to be really exciting and very yeah. different teams in Munster and Bristol. So yes. Munster, very sort of more traditional uh, forward heavy, that sort of um, style and then Bristol are sort of the opposite of that, all flash and not as much substance. So two really exciting games for midweek matches, and yeah, I also hope to see you guys like Evan Ruiz. Although we'll get into some cool. of his um, pros and cons from his performance a little bit, bit later in the podcast. Yes, um, I, I just want to see the the media narrative. There's a player who like plays with the SAA team, but sh- through a series of unfortunate events, gets a crack in a Springbok one of the tests on tour and then just smashes it and then becomes a bedrock of the team. I, I, that's the narrative. I, I want to see Evan Ruiz, if you're listening, please do that. In, in, <laughs> in expect. Um, there's another piece of news item. Worcester Warriors, they're going to be getting liquidated in the Premiership. It's going to be taking place tomorrow on Wednesday. This has been recorded on a Tuesday. Um, it's all quite shocking, really. Even Wasps, they're in financial trouble. Uh, look, we won't go into the detail of obviously of what's happening. I'm sure if you listen to uh, Ball, Ball Chasers and Egg Chasers, excuse me, and some of the other UK media, they're a bit better informed. But I'm a little bit concerned, Phil and Andrew, what this may mean for the sustainable. What's the, actually, I guess, what's the impact this will make on the English national team? Not immediately, but in the medium term. The fact that certain players are going to be spirited off to other clubs alone, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, it's affecting, like you said, two out of the um, two out of the teams in the English Premiership at the moment. So it's it's a concern, I think, especially given sustainability issues in general and how much teams are spending. Um, obviously, having come through COVID and going through very difficult times makes it hard to know how much is caused by that or other things. And also the other teams, how close to the margins they might be, but obviously not good at all for the game and the health of the game in general. But hopefully it is just, you know, sort of around these teams and 
not going to affect the rest of the sport as much. I mean, and Worcester are supposed to play the Lions in the Challenge Cup, so uh, indirectly or a little bit closer, more directly, it will affect some of the South African teams too. I don't know how they'll deal with that, but um, yeah, it's unfortunate, um, yeah. And espe- especially for the players. I think they, you know, they've apparently for the last like two years or so they've been going through pay cuts and all of this and now it's just reached the stage where they pretty much have to find new clubs yeah uh andrew we'll see i guess is the bottom line um we can guesstimate what the effect's going to be um there's obviously going to be some significant moves of of players having to find new homes and settling into new teams and that's going to be disruptive um, and like Phil says I'm, I'm a bit worried about whether this is symptomatic of issues across uh, a number of clubs that we aren't talking about at the moment and maybe the state of the, the English club system is not as healthy as we'd like it to be because I think we need it to be healthy for, for global rugby um, so worrying times yeah hmm. I guess yeah, Andrew, just a special shout out to Matt, who already uh, drafted <laughs> yeah. Duan van der Merwe very early, and just in the hopes that he'll rejoin Edinburgh or join one of the other URC teams. So, very uh, on the either on the ball or just completely off the ball. We don't know yet. <laughs> we'll find yeah. out soon enough. Uh, if he gets that, then you know he deserves having him. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess the question is what what concerns you. Wage inflation is one of the reasons why the English game has been struggling, and that's largely been driven by France. So I guess this is just kind of the ecosystem that is the professional rugby universe, since you love using that term around here, um, is being stretched. Even New Zealand is an example of how player pressure and pay pressure is influencing games. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and it might, may, might just accelerate more franchises and private investment in the game to, to a certain degree beyond what is already allowed. So very, very interesting. Uh, but speaking of other problems, uh, Andre Pollard limped off in his debut for Leicester. Mm. Not good. Very, very not good for the end of the year. Um, so he's heading off. We'll, I think we'll have a quick chat about him, but there's a lot of other player movement. Marcel could say he signed for Japan. Real pity for the Bills, the talismanic captain. And most interesting, he's going to be going to the Kalbeki Kobe Steelers in midseason. Uh, most effectively, I'm not saying ruling himself out of the World Cup squad, but putting him a bit further away from coaches' eyes, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so I would have loved for him just to be around as well. Um, also, the Stormers, they're going to be leaving um, a whole bunch of box at home for the URC trip. Stephen Kitzel, Francois Herber, Joseph, Joseph Dweber, a bit of a surprise, and Dion Ferry. They weren't included in the touring squad named on Monday for their three-game tour of URC uh, for Italy and Wales. Sorry, Matt, you drafted Kitzel. But we're returning to Pollard. Uh, how big a problem is this? I mean, Damon Williams has, has strapped up for the Stormers since. But how big a problem is this ahead of the tour? Um, and also... It's Andre has been injured a couple of times already this season. I'm a little bit worried this is the beginning of a bad habit of niggly injuries, if it is that. I, I don't think it's even even the beginning of a habit. I think he's always been a little bit brittle and had injury concerns. Um, luckily, in the run-up to the 2019 World Cup was the sort of steadiest we saw from him. But it is a big concern, just given the lack of fly-half depth, or at least the lack of... Um, fly halves who have been given Springbok game time. Like you said, Willems has um, performed decently in the last couple of Springbok games, but he started at 12 for the Stormers this weekend. And actually, uh, Manny Lubok was playing 10, and he actually had a really good game, other than, I think, his yellow card near the beginning of the game. Um, 
But he put his hand up, and in the you know we've got the rest of the URC for other players to also um, make make a statement and yes. possibly push for the end of year squad. Even if it's like we were saying with the SAA games, we could see maybe some real yeah someone like um, Lebok or even um, Gianni Lombard being playing well for the Lions, um, Buta Chamberlain starting for the Sharks. We'll see if any of these guys, even someone like Hurston who's getting mm-hmm. some game time. Um, all of these guys have an opportunity to, you know, put their name forward. Mm. Well, rather it happen now than before 2023. Uh, Andrew, if I said to you, Manny Lebok, Springbok 10, give it, give it six months of added experience, how does that make you feel? I don't know about it, to be honest. I mean, I'm very happy with him at the Stormers. Um, problem is, it's a very different blueprint to how the Springboks have been playing the last Cups. So, can Marley Lebok have the same impact he does for the Stormers at test level for the Springboks playing a forward-heavy, kicking-heavy, under-type game? Because that's that's not what he's playing right now, and it's not his his main strength. And he can probably do it, but you're not getting the best out of the player. Um, I would think, given that uh, Johan Kursen traveled with or was part of the Springboks squad, even though he was injured, um, ahead of Marnie Lebok indicates a bit of a preference in my mind for Johan Kursen as third choice fly half. Mm. Probably now comes into second choice behind Pollard now that Yankees is a little bit persona non grata. Uh, yes. I believe I'm saying this, but it is a little bit unfortunate that Yankees isn't in the fold anymore because he is our most experienced backup fly half. And we've seen that he can, he can play to template when he needs to, or he can mix it up a little bit. Um, he's been given opportunities and he's never been my favorite player, but you know, he, he's, he's quasi bankable. So do we, do we go with Willem who's not going to play fly half in URC, um, but he has performed or do we, do we see where Kursen goes? And I think, I think Johan Kursen's probably the next guy in that Springbok fold, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, worrying times. Uh, I mean, the advantages of Barnage for Phillips to playing at tennis. It does allow for our most creative back uh, in um, what suddenly Billy Larue to to start a fifteen. But I mean, you do, you do kind of have to. <laughs> uh, what the what is given is also taken away. Um, so in terms of what having Phillips at fifteen is a bit faster and offers a bit more of a running threat to a degree in physicality in the tackle. So Johan Kursen, we will see. Well, I guess we'll watch him more closely in interest. Going through the yard, seen a good opportunity for some of the other younger fly halves to step up. But I think your point for just about the box play in a very specific style um, is a good point, and Andrew, but that's true. Um, <laughs> the irony of Elton, if uh, yeah, if Elton had it, hadn't moved, been removed from the picture, it would be a prime opportunity to stake a claim. Um, such a pity that has happened, but we shall see what uh, what shall go forward. Uh, now, I had another, another news item here. Let me just try to find it. Falstian Kamp, apparently he's still going to be going to Japan. And Jack White is trying to convince him to stay at the Bills. Um, I mean, we won't need to discuss this much. But it's just kind of an example of the hollowing out of rugby that has taken place. Oddly enough, I feel that the, the South African teams in general at a URC level, anyway, um, have been able to bring back a lot of players. There's a lot of good, high-quality experience within these teams. But it's such a shame that someone like him, who you never know in an emergency what his future may be, but he's heading off to Japan and understandably so. Um, 
I guess I guess asking you where where the box are now versus West Africa itself versus the the player drain that's occurred and the amount of experience that is moving within the in the system now. Uh, I mean, Johan Ryan Jansen van Rensburg coming back uh, to play in Durban. Do you think South Africa in rugby is ironically healthier now, even though you would argue that the bargaining power of uh, some of the private clubs up north is greater than it used to be? I mean, for the box, as opposed to like Australia, being able mm. to select overseas players is massive. Um, so when they do go overseas, if they have sort of sufficiently proven themselves over here, they, they still have a lifeline to the box. Um, a guy like Warwick Galant is probably on the fringe of that. I don't know if he would be recalled into a box squad. Um, he was picked with the knowledge that he was going overseas at least. Um, but yeah, he might be sort of that, that threshold. Um, but we, we do have the luxury of picking guys like Cheslin Colby, like Faf de Klerk, like Andre Pollard, um, who are proven performers. Whereas before, you know, not that long ago, the Springboks didn't have a policy that, that made allowances for that. If we had to pick a Springbok team just from players in South Africa, I think the Sharks and the Bulls have done a good job of bringing a lot of players back to South Africa. Um, guys like Marcel Pizzer, Ibn Etzebeth, um, a few others. Brian Janssen van Rensburg is not really in the Springbok fold for me, but he could do a job if he was called on. Um, we, yeah, Johan Kursen's another one, um, although there was a whole story about him coming back. <laughs> That's a long, long story. Uh, so there's been some good recruitment of South Africans back to South Africa by those clubs, which is great. Um, so we are having a stronger domestic sort of setup at the moment. Whether that makes the box stronger, I guess, depends if they get picked or not. So uh, well, that's true. Uh, that's where the rubber the rubber meets the road. Uh, but I guess I guess we're going to talk about URC now is the time because that's where these players are performing. Uh, it's been a good start to the competition for the South African teams. I think within the top eight, all four of them lie, including the Lions, who I've been very quietly impressed by. Um, so I guess going through the fixtures, where are we going to start? Bulls, Connacht, 28-14 at Loftus. Uh, I mean, a good performance. Could the Irons are showing why he's a springbok. And Moody, however, did limp off. Uh, but it's just, it, it seems like the Bulls are entering, uh, they kind of remind me of the efficiency of the URC that we saw at their peak in Super Rugby. They're now rocking up and winning games consistently, and winning is a habit. So, uh, Andrew, as the non-bullish non supporter of all, how bullish are you of the Bills and <laughs> OBS? Um, they've had a really good start to the season. They're looking nice and fluent. Phil's very happy with the Zach Berger performance um, coming in at scrum off. Obviously, uh, draft team. Quitson's looking composed. Uh, their, their back three is looking pretty good. I mean, because yes. the Arantz and, and, and Moody, that, that could be a Springbok back three without batting an eyelid. Uh, yes. So that's that's looking pretty potent for them finishing off on the wing. I think in this in this fixture they were clearly the better team, but just looking at the timelines, like it seems the the yellow cards to Hussen and Jan Hendrik Vessel slowed them down somewhat, and they just sort of consolidated and played out the rest of the game. So Connacht have not had the strongest start to the season, despite having you know some really some really handy players like um, you know the Mac Daddy Hansen. Um, my favorite. <laughs> um, I'm still gutted that I didn't get him in draft this year, but so be it. Uh, yeah, they they they're not they're not going to be on the 
same tier as uh, Leinster and Ulster and Munster. So the Bulls are doing well to pick up victories where they can. Mm. Uh, Paul, I guess just briefly from your side, uh, are we going to? Oh, the Bulls are locked. It's very early to call it, but do you think the Bulls are a lock for a semi-final already this year? Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. It's just, just just on the fact that it's too early, not from anything bad that yeah. I've seen. I've been really impressed, yeah, like Andrew was saying, in the back line they have so much threat, even though they picked up injuries now. But their loose trio is also right oh, up there with the competition's best, I think. Uh, yeah. Bringing Van Staden back and then having Ulrich Lowe as well back from the Springboks. And yeah. then also Ron Nokia this weekend was... Really good, and he just seems to be getting better with each game. So he's one yes. who I'm really excited to get more opportunities. You know, he's been with the Springbok squad. So if he doesn't play, get any SA game time, he'll be one to watch in the SAA game, I think. He had a really nice assist where he, you know, got a clean line break and then managed to pass to Zach Berger, which mm. also made me happy, as Andrew alluded to. And um, yeah, but we'll see. That. So the injuries are not ideal, especially, I uh, think, um, Johan Krobler. His one, his injury, missing the tour, they're going to either rely on a young guy like Jan Hendrik Vessels, I think Bismarck Duplessis is also back in the squad. So yeah. that's like a massive difference in um, age between the two uh, hooker options that they have. Um, so the tour is going to be difficult. So I think we'll be able to give a clearer indication of where they're at after the tour. Mm. Uh, I think the top teams, I think uh, a characteristic of all the top teams in the ERC, and we're going to talk about Ulster Leinster next, uh, they all have quality loose trios. I mean, let's ignore the fact that Leinster can call almost on like two different sets of loose trios, even three with Irish caps. That's, that's a talk for for another day. I guess we'll talk about it. Ulster, uh, Leinster, they moved out to 17-3 lead in... I've forgotten the name of Ulster. Oh, it's literally, sorry, it's Ulster in Ulster. Why do I think it's because of a different name. I got very confused. Um, also, I know a guy whose sister is the mayor of Ulster. It's a very, it's a very long story. But Ulster's um, like the province, right? Yeah. The I think it's both a province and town, but don't don't test my knowledge of it. I just know it's in Northern Ireland, and get things get a little bit murky the deeper you go. But as I said, uh, Leinster they grabbed the lead to try on some Brian Bird and Dan Sheehan in the first half in the downpour, as one we would expect in the north, and they led 73 at the break. And uh, it was John Andrew who responded for Ulster before. Aaron Sexton had a try this allowed for a knock at the house fell short. And uh, now Leinster are top of the table alongside the Bulls. Um, a typical, I guess, what you call an Irish Irish derby, um, if you yeah. want to call it. But Leinster showing their championship credentials and their strength in depth. Um, yeah. Obvious. Yeah, I mean, I, last week we said... We had a lot of free-flowing rugby, and the weather was really good, and there were high schools all around. And now this week, yeah, this weekend we had this game. The Lions game was also in really poor conditions. Mm. The Sharks game, yeah, the rain was also there. So, yeah, called it a week um, early, and then that happened. So I think this sort of suits Leinster. Like you say, we'll probably see Dan Sheehan score another 10 of exactly the same (laughs) try that he scored in this game. Um, But, yeah, also... they 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 managed to stay in it and they they scored a try or they didn't score a try right at the end. Um, mm. It was they got over the line and I think it's the, uh, the, I can't remember the name of their wing, um, but he sort of had the ball in the wrong arms. So Charlie Nata managed to like just um, n- like knock it out of his arm as he was dotting it down. So if they had scored that try, they would have been within two or three, I think. So uh, super close game and I'm sure they'd be super disappointed to lose at home. 
to Leinster, especially oh. this sort of rivalry. Sorry, no, uh, Aaron Sexton, that was his name. Yeah, sorry, no, so good. Uh, Andrew, uh, just, uh, just uh, any, any pointers that that Phil may not have covered? Uh, I mean, Leinster is what you see is what you get in a nutshell. I know Ethan McElroy, he's going to be coming back also soon, providing some more back options. And Mike Lowry, I know he was a bit of an athlete. At 15 for them last week, I think he just got completely subdued by the rain. And Leinster's tight defensive effort. Leinster are always going to be a a contender in this competition with the squad they've got. Uh, They're not Irish internationals. They're the likes of Mikey Alalatoa. So it's a a really tough team to play against, uh, as you say, typical Irish derby. All right, well, uh, look, we're just already over half an hour, so we'll try to speed this up a little bit. Ah, the Lions, probably, I'd argue probably the results of the weekend. Um, I mean, one would say on paper, they're definitely the weakest South African team, but they're definitely doing some good stuff out in Dunfin team. They beat Cardiff in Cardiff, 31-18. Phil, Henko van Veek, does he have a future as a Springbok? There's a really chatter. People love a young gun for the box. Um, but in all seriousness, what have you seen and what has impressed you the most about him, and generally speaking, the Lions as a whole? I really like Henko van Beek. I'm a little bit uh, frustrated by some of the same chatter that I've seen. Like, um, based off this game, people are saying, oh my gosh, he could be the next Springbok 13. And meanwhile, in this game, he moved to the wing after like five minutes or however long Edward Fenimova lost it before he got injured. So all the good things that he did in this game, and he did a lot, were from a different position. His main strengths, I think, are his um, broken play sort of, explosiveness and also then his defense but more like his aggression in defense not necessarily his reading of defense which is more important for 13 so he has really really good um strengths which can be worked on but as a 13 i think it's way too early to know because we haven't seen him play enough at 13 and even when i have like he looks really good but again like when it's broken field play and that sort of thing so very exciting talent but i think we need a you know, ease up on the, the early calls and stop acting like Australians and saying everyone's the next Stephen Larkham. Um, so, but yeah, no, I, I've, I've been happy with him and the Lions in general. The, so this game and the last game, to be honest, they haven't played an amazingly attractive game, but also the weather hasn't been great, but they've been very um, like solid and then being able to close out the game and really against... When or when they were underdogs in both games, I would say. So it's been really impressive that they've just done what they've had to do. And I think that's why we've seen Lombard come in for um, Hendrickson, just because of the weather conditions and controlling the game a bit more. Um, And Nohamba starting as well, who's also, now that he's starting to get some game time for the Lions, he's showing his worth. Yes. um, I mean, obviously not to get too presumptive. I'm starting to see hints of just the Johan Ackerman era. At the Lions, was that that side was built on a team of misfits in a nutshell. I mean, Mahamba, he's come from the Sharks. Um, also, like I just could say, he's back in the, he's back at 15, performing Alizane Kirshner role. So I, I'm excited, especially Lombard finally getting some consistent game time. He's very, very exciting um, and someone to keep an eye on. And you never know, they might be building something very special in that. I'm sorry, I'm getting feedback. Are you guys getting feedback as well? Yeah, a little white noise on my side. Okay. Yeah, I'm also getting a bit of white noise. Look where sure is coming from. Oh, there we go. That's fine. Uh, it's full. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll chip in. I just yes, want to throw a shout-out to uh, 
Kuhn Horn for his try in the corner um, in the last few minutes of the game. I thought that was really inspired, uh, just like make it up as you go type play. And the fly half, I can't remember if it must have been Hendricks at that point, not not Lombard. Um, got the ball sort of on the back foot, didn't have options, rushing defence. I just put this like ugly grubber in and Kuhn Horn just chased for all he was worth um, and uh, managed to get it down just ahead of the... The, the other player, the, the Cardiff player. So shows good hunger from another young gun who is also being talked up as a potential future Springbok. So the Lions have got some good young talent on their books this season. Mm. And I think maybe, I hope they can develop a reputation of uh, young players of promise. Um, they'll get game time there. So in a way, we're quite fortunate to have the Lions in the mix. I mean, obviously they're based in Johannesburg. But from a developmental side, it's a great place for I think some of my younger players to get a lot more game time. And a few other older heads to come back. Uh, and contribute. So moving swiftly along, Stormers, uh, they've continued their impressive start to the season. They beat Edinburgh. Um, I would argue, well, I would probably Glasgow a little better than, but uh, they, they beat Edinburgh 34-18 um, down in the Ferris Cape. Uh, Andrew, your thoughts just on where the Stormers are? Very, very nice to the season. Yeah, probably still getting that white noise, by the way, but... Um... Yeah, the Stormers were not, uh, the, the scoreline maybe flatters them a little bit, 34-8. Uh, um, so Levin Hotzenberg getting two late tries in the 67th and 80th minutes. One of them was a 70-meter intercept, which is just absolutely fancy gold, which I'm very happy uh, to go punt on him as uh, one of my 20 million centers that I drafted this season. So happy that uh, he's returned from a very inauspicious first game. Um, the Stormers at times are still showing glimpses of their fluidity and creativity, and um, it's really good rugby to watch when they do turn it on. Um, yeah, a few yellow cards, unfortunately, everyone was getting a little overexcited, um, not having the best game after a rampaging start to the season. Um, but he, he will pick up from there, no doubt. Um, he's too talented to let this get him down for too long. Uh, Phil mentioned Mani Lebok's early-ish uh, yellow card in the 20, 21st minute, something like that. So he's he's impressed. I mean, his his kicking off the tee has been exceptional this season. Um, long may that continue, and that would stand him in good stead for box selection. Because if there's anything that Damien Willemser couldn't do in the fly half role, it was kick a goal. Um, he could do anything <laughs> else for the Springboks, but um, some of his goal kicking was just abject, so poor. Yeah. Uh, but Marnie Lebox giving them nice stability in that role there and allowing players outside of him to express themselves. Likes of Evan Riss, Sachiba Daimani, um, are again like uh, getting through the physical work they need to, but then being able to turn on that flair and that creativity, which has made the Stormers so exciting over the last season and a bit. So I'm, I'm happy that they're cruising on. Edinburgh are a tough team. Um, they, they have some really good players. They, they're my second team in the competitions because I lived in Edinburgh for a while and I like the rugby that they play. Um, happy with Pierre Skumman scoring a try. He's my go-to prop for Ugh. Um, despite yeah. his Despite his, uh, his personal views, which I don't agree with, but um, he's, a, he's a good fantasy player, especially at prop. And um, they, They've got a lot of good players in the, in the Edinburgh lineup, quite a few Scottish internationals. Um, and they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat this season, so I'm glad the Stormers have got one over them early. Mm. Uh, Phil, just uh, your, your thoughts on the Stormers are, uh, what they're coming up? 
Yeah, uh, you mentioned earlier that um, Brie and Weber were two of the Springboks they're leaving at home. They both scored tries in the first half, so it's quite a big decision for from them to not include them in the tour. Um, and they were both rolling more, so like they were ma- managing to stay ahead of the scoreboard through that sort of game plan. Just, um, but they do have exciting backs, and yeah, we said Lebok. Uh, played well and Hartzenberg got the step try but also the last try that Hartzenberg scored was set up by Lebok and he managed to sort of go around a defender draw the other one and then you know give it over to Hartzenberg to score so there's definitely a lot of excitement there and like we said with the balls they're going on tour now so this um, and without some of their springboks this is going to be a tough tour for them um, but let's hope that they can do as well as the Lions and the Sharks have shown so far mm. uh, and also for France, an emergency option on tour. I, I just think we, we've spoken about this at length, but the experience these players are getting up north, um, it just creates a lot of arts for the Springbok coaches in a time of desperation going forward, which is quite exciting also for the World Cup. Uh, Andrew, so you're going to say something? Yeah, just the, the four box that were left out. I mean, Pitzhoff and Malherbe played a lot of game time on the tour. Yeah. Um, Dweber got sent home early and, and Fabri only played minutes here and there. Um, the only reason I can think they were left off is like tour fatigue rather than rugby fatigue. Um, maybe they need time time off to recuperate and spend time with their families, etc. Um, those those may hurt them. I mean the Springboks, I mean, the Springboks, the Stormers don't have the most in depth at hooker. Um, yeah, a little bit of a slip there, but I'll. <laughs> Um, the most amazing depth at hooker, so Andre Hooker-Fent is going to have to step up in a big way because he's probably the number one hooker at the moment at the at the Stormers. Um, I'm not really sure who's off the rank behind him. Um, I know uh, Sazi Sandy has been retreaded as a hooker before, um, but he re- received a red card for direct contact to the head, so I suspect he'll probably see a couple games suspension. He wasn't actually in the touring squad when I looked for him, so... Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting tour in the front row, and they've given up four Springbok front rankers if you can count Dion Ferry. Yes, uh, but they got Brock Harris all as well. The man that never ate there, the man that never ate there. Brock Harris is there. No, don't panic. <laughs> yeah, Dad's there. Dad, Dad. I, I, I think he may have got man of the match this weekend. I could be imagining that, but I think he did. He was good. Hard one. Yeah. Jeez, oh, gosh, I remember him when I lived in Cape Town covering him. Can't believe he's still there. Uh, all right, just some of the other games. Ospreys, they've put together a very good performance. Uh, Glasgow had started the tournament quite hot, but they uh, got pumped 32-17, as I know, as Jack Dempsey. Picked up an early injury there. Um, so, a very good performance for Ospreys. Munster, they did the business, as one would expect us to get Zebra winning 21-5. Uh, Benetton, just the Thomas Albert, uh, excuse me, I can't pronounce this one. I was going to say Albanese show. Uh, that's not quite correct, but uh, he led Benetton to victory over the Scarlets, 34-23. Very good start for Benetton. Very good for the competition that the leading Italian team is putting on the results. That leaves us with our final result, the Sharks winning on tour. Why do they always make it look so hard on tour? The, the Dragons are one of the weakest Welsh teams, but they always make it look so hard. Andrew, I know you caught up a bit uh, on this game. What, what are your thoughts on where we are? I know that uh, um, Rugby on Twitter wasn't very happy with Ben Tapawai. He felt he was stifling a lot of the Sharks' backline's ability to get creative. Yeah, um... The Sharks are an interesting one because they've they've gone and and picked a whole lot of superstars who now are not really yeah. playing for them. Um, Sia Colisi's only just started integrating back with the team. Ibanetsu only just back with the team. Um, 
they they have a good squad on paper, uh, but they're going to have to start producing. I think they've got a big problem at fly half. I mean, Buddha Chamberlain was serviceable, I thought, this last weekend, um, just from what little I did see. So, yeah, Kerwin Bosch is, was flattered to deceive, like, the whole the whole of his career. He's been talked up as a, a 50-test bock, but um, he's never quite produced the goods. Uh, Buddha Chamberlain's playing ahead of him now. Like I say, not not the biggest fan. Uh, they do have a whole host of really exciting players. Um, I'm yet to see Apalele Fassi turn it on like we know he can. Uh, he did it in preseason, which is why I drafted him, and now he's been a little bit quiet on the on the on the URC stage. But they have they have the players to do it, right? Um, and they've they've got players coming back, important players, leaders in the team. So for them, I think they'll take the victory and just keep moving forward. Um, I don't think they'll they'll spend too much time sort of getting moping about their performances here. Um, and they, they did score that last try in the end to, I think it was Takia Abrams, was really slick um, and showed where the Sharks can go. Uh, and they won a pressure match. I mean, you take a lot out of a result like that. So, mm. uh, Phil? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't like the Sharks, but they're just one of the most frustrating teams to watch. Like, wanting, yeah. them, wanting them to win, but, like... Um, not really liking them they just like like andrew was saying you know they have the sort of potential to be so much better than they are and this game was so frustrating and to be honest i think they deserved to lose it and they were re- re- relatively lucky to get the win at the end like um the try which andrew was talking about by take Ab- abrahams was a really good try but that was literally like the first time in the match that they had managed to hang on to the ball and string some decent passes together. I think it was Notche who made the break and then passed it off to uh, the reserve. I think um, ah, forget uh, the other guy's name. Um, Williams. Gran Williams scored the intercept try, which again um, oh, was the way that they got back into the match. But uh, it was Manus Pochita, so he he got the final touch before passing off to Abrahams. But that was a really good try. But other than that, they were so dire. They. Yeah, I think it's a bit harsh to put the blame on Ben Tapuai for, you know, not, um, or for stifling the backline in the way that you said OM Rugby put it, because, yeah, there was nothing happening, not just him. It was like, whether it was dropping the ball, and yeah, the conditions weren't great, but dropping the ball or just not, you know, like doing, making the right decisions, it was really poor performance, but they got a win, and, you know, they say the best teams still win that when they play badly. Maybe they say that. Um, and so, yeah, they'll take confidence from this and they can only sort of build and this will probably be the, the easiest tour game. So they really do have to improve from here. Well, wow. so we would have said uh, Zebra. Oh, <laughs> Love RDP, but Yeah, who knows? Uh, another concern, I know that uh, uh, obviously Lee said uh, he struggled a bit uh, in the first half. But I guess, look, uh, good props are made up north. Whether they say you turn pressure makes diamonds... Uh, that's the idea, so we'll, we'll hopefully get to move it on. But also the line-out struggled a bit. Um, you can't play the Northern Hemisphere as a state or any form of high-quality rugby with a struggling line-out, so hopefully they can fix it. So that's going to do a wrap, just the VRC results. Um, and now, lads, the Ladies' Rugby World Cup, or the Women's Rugby World Cup, to be more uh, precise, is going to be taking place in New Zealand. What excites you most about this and also South Africa's chances? Um, where do we stand compared to the superpowers of like England in a nutshell, within the women's game. I'll, I'll take a first punt at it. Um, 
Yeah, we, where South Africa comes into the competition is, you know, we're still a growing squad, but I think the the morale is high. Like, there's good momentum with the ladies at the moment. They had a couple of good results against Spain, a first uh, victory away against Japan. Um, they drew that series 1-1, if I recall right. There's a few players who are really coming into their own, and some 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 women who are playing, you know, rugby really befitting of the highest stage. I think there's still quite a gulf between us and the likes of England, Australia, New Zealand, France. Um, we are sort of in the second tier of, of women's rugby, if you can put it that way. Um, probably owed not not to the talent in the country, but to um, the setup and the fact that it's still semi-professional at best. Um, it's probably more an amateur game, to be honest. I think mean, there's only one or two players with um, uh, professional contracts uh, in the team. Um, one being Babala Lacho, who was the first the first woman ever to get a professional contract as a rugby player in South Africa. So there's a long road to walk in terms of professionalizing the team, but I think they're in a good they're in a good mind space and they're they're not going into this competition with expectations of winning. I think they're just going to go and do the best they can, and they've got a good squad of players who who I've enjoyed watching over the last few months. Um, so I'll be behind them. I don't know if I'll be that behind them that I'll be up for the 3:15 kickoff in the first round. Um, but hopefully there's some kind of kickoffs uh, later on in the tournament. That New Zealand time difference is a bit of a killer for us here in South Africa. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I think um, any sort of progress that uh, we see is going to be a positive. This is a very much like an in-between spot for the Springboks women's. I think um, they, yeah, they've been building really nicely. But it's also, I think it's like just the beginning of the journey. Like Andrew said, there is a massive gap between the top teams. And given South Africa's group, it's going to be really tough. So the first game is against France. And France are one of the strongest teams. They have a fully professional league. And then England is also in the same group. And England are the clear favorites. You know, they beat New Zealand by 50 points at the end of last year. Um, But... There's also Fiji in the group, so that's that's. I, I feel like if South Africa can come away with a win, it will be a success, you know. So that's the game I think they'll be aiming for. It's also a 12-team uh, competition, and eight teams obviously make the quarterfinals. So if they just get one win over Fiji, they potentially could make the the quarterfinals, and that would be a massive achievement. So there are achievable goals to reach, but I think... You know, given that two of the matches are against two of the strongest teams in the whole tournament, um, you know, any any results should be taken with that in mind. But it's all about progress. I think they've been building. I saw something like they had almost nothing for four years before COVID, and um, they sort of had to reset completely. But now they've started getting sponsorships, contracts, um, you know, just a, a much more professional outfit going that... This is really the start, hopefully, of something um, really good happening in this country in terms of uh, women's rugby. Mm. Uh, so it's just a pity it's in New Zealand, um, but the time difference will be a bit of a killer as well. England, just a quick fact, they've won their last 25 matches in a row. Um, they are the heavy, heavy favourites. Apparently, the RFU, they want to host the next Women's World Cup in 2025 this is i think as you guys know this is the 2021 edition i don't feel comfortable with that they should just call it the 2022 world cup it gets a little bit confusing because that's the year it's hosted it and just host the next one as it is planned um but yes uh chat it, it's, it's uh, any kind of comments on? 
Sorry, Adam, one, one last thing to, to pitch in there while it's showering, that's quite noisy here. Um, <laughs> just a, a shout out to, to my good mate, Andy Barrett-Turon, who's also representing us there as one of the very select referee panel, which there was, you know, there's, uh, it's very healthy in the world at the moment to see there's actually a lot of competition at the highest level in terms of officiating. We're having a lot of women coming in and, and refereeing at the highest levels of the women's and men's games. And um, there was a few notable women left off of that list um, for people who traveled to New Zealand. So yeah, I'll also be hopefully tuning in and watching my good good mate Amy uh, running around the field as well, representing South Africa. Yeah, and she's probably one of the better referees full stop. Uh, that's I think that's a fantastic thing. Uh, that refers some of the... Uh, I met her male, male, male council pass, particularly in the RC, they could take a listen or two uh, from her. Um, so, yeah, we're just best luck to Amy. Uh, we, we will be behind you. They do have an uphill task. They face England in their last group game as well. Phil? Yeah, I, 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 um, I'm also hoping that I'll be able to watch some of the later games, but the first one against France might just be a little bit early for me too. Um, but I'm excited even if I'm just catching some of the highlights, you know, when we get up in the morning. Um, I think the, the game is growing in general, so we'll see what happens. Mm. 100%. Uh, all right, guys, we're about to hit the hour. Is there any other topics uh, that you'd like to touch on before we wrap up? Well, I think um, I think our recording's only got about 45 minutes, but we were chatting so much before, uh, before the pod, and I, I was so late, so I apologise for cutting <laughs> Sorry, my, my apologies. Then we've kept it to a top 45. <laughs> I, was, I, I thought it was an hour. I was, I was chatting to Phil, so uh, apologies. No, um, good. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been a good chat. I think we've we've covered the ground we needed to with the with the box now not playing. Um, we can probably spend some more time on on URC and, and maybe some of the women's results moving forward. And who knows, maybe we'll pull in some special guests along the way. But uh, yeah, Adam, um, shout out to you first hosting in a while. I thought you you really nailed the segues in particular. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like it's like riding a bike, really. You just so you just get back in the saddle. And thankfully, you guys are way, way, way more structured <laughs> than, uh, I guess, it we'll call it Pod 1.0. Uh, that's for sure. So, so it, it, thank you uh, just for allowing me to sit in the seat for today. I do have, I do have an electricity power cut in 30 minutes. So it was serendipitous that I had power at this time, and, and it all worked up. And I thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. And Phil, thank, uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Adam, also from my side. Uh, sorry for some uh, issues with the sound this today, but hopefully it'll be better going forward. But thanks for hosting at short notice and um, appreciate yeah having you back. No, no problem. I just, uh, as long as I meet your high standards. And Andrew, thanks very much. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I know you're also cooking in Joburg, so hopefully we, we make it through the week in one piece. Yeah, it's been so hot. I think we need some rain now. Um, Send some of that mild weather up from the Cape. I was actually on a bachelor's this last weekend in, in, the, in the Cape, and it was wonderful. So I was a little sad to have to come back to you. The oven that is Johannesburg. Yeah, we're looking at 32 to 34 degrees and very, very dry heat, ladies and gentlemen. It is not pleasant. We really need some rain. If you have been listening, thank you so much for doing so. You will find us on Twitter. I'll talk to the social media team and ensure they get it right. But uh, this has been uh, ERB. And we will catch you next week. Thanks for joining us.